What is your first reaction? That is so unfair. Why are these Johnny-come-latelys getting the same wage as the workers who've been working all day? I'm a lawyer, so I'm interested in justice. I'm not an employment lawyer, but if I was, I'm sure I could advise the workers who were hired first that they have been subject to unfair discrimination or breach of equality rules or something like that. But could I? What does the landowner promise the first hired at 6am? The usual daily wage. They accept. The workers hired at 9am and 12 noon and 3pm and 5pm, the landowner promises to pay them whatever is right. Let's come back to that later. We are continuing in our series of sermons on the parables in Matthew, where Jesus is explaining what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is Jesus' way of describing God's rules, God's ways, with Jesus at the head, the prime minister, if you like, of God's government. If you think that God's rules and God's ways, as described in the gospel, seem to turn human ways and human rules upside down and inside out, then that is exactly what Jesus intended. We are told in Isaiah that my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways, declares the Lord. So the kingdom of heaven is shorthand for describing God's ways and God's rules. I will refer to the kingdom of earth as our ways, that is mankind's rules and ways. And in this parable, we see that in the kingdom of heaven, the first will be last and the last will be first. Let's go back a bit. Just before this parable, Jesus has been responding to a rich young man who has been told by Jesus that in order to get eternal life, he must go and sell all his possessions and then come and follow Jesus. The man goes away sad because although he has kept all the commandments of the law, he cannot do this. Peter is exasperated by Jesus' response. It seems that neither wealth nor following the commandments can save you. And as Peter points out to Jesus, he and his fellow disciples have done just what Jesus has told the rich young man to do. Peter exclaims, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus promises that they will be rewarded, but... Jesus says, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. The parable of the workers in the vineyard is an allegory to explain this theme. Before we get too far into this, I should probably let you know a bit about myself. I'm married to Liam, and I've got two children, Rory and Grace. I was raised by very nice heathens in Hertfordshire. I attended a Church of England school, and I always believed in God. I first became a Christian as a young teenager, but not being surrounded by other Christians and with no real guidance, I completely stopped believing in God when I got to university. It seemed irrational and childish, so I left God. Fortunately, he did not leave me. I was already on my way back to church when I joined this church nine years ago, and having completed two Alpha courses in the last seven years, I finally worked out the relevance of Jesus. 
The point of this is that I still consider myself a beginner Christian. And when I read the Bible, I still get blown away by just how radical this Jesus is. So being a beginner, I asked my longtime Christian friend what this parable was about. I had already worked out that the laborers represent us and the landowner represents God. My friend explained that this parable is about whether you become a Christian early in your life or you are a deathbed convert, your reward is still the same. You still get to go to heaven. I think that's encouraging enough, given that a lot of my friends and family don't believe in God, let alone have any interest in finding out who Jesus is. It's good to know they still have time. But what else is this parable about? When I read the parable through a few times, what stood out to me was this line, the grumble from the day-long laborers about the ones hired last. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Fair comment, I thought. But wait a minute. What does this word equal mean to the grumbling laborer? And what does it mean to the landowner, God? Equality. Fairness, justice, from the familiar cries of children yelling, is not fair, to the claims of the tabloids screaming, Yobbo walks free, or illegal immigrants taking our jobs. It seems we are all interested in fairness. Good people getting their rewards, and bad people getting their just desserts. The kingdom of earth teaches us from an early age that input equals output, hard work equals results. If you have a good job, it's because you worked hard at school, passed your exams and got a good job. You therefore deserve your nice home, your nice car and your nice friends. So being a good person who does good things, you naturally think you deserve to go to heaven. Just like the rich young man who asks Jesus in the verses before, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus responds at first in the expected way, in keeping with the Jewish traditions of following the law. Keep the commandments. Oh good, rich young man thinks. I've ticked all those boxes. What else? Sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and come and follow me. Oh no, can't do that. Jesus is looking at the man's heart. Yes, he is coming out on top in the moral worthiness contest, but what about his heart? He has followed the letter of the law, but has he followed the spirit of the law? Who does God put first? Time and time again, it is not the people whom the kingdom of earth honors and idolizes, the rich, the famous, the beautiful, It is the barren woman, the rejected son, the humble servant. Jesus is a descendant of David. Who was he? A nobody, the weakest and youngest son of Jesse. Given that the narrative of history, the history of the victors, if you like, has been controlled and written by people who had the access, the power and the money to write books and get them published, isn't it radical Isn't it extraordinary that the Bible is so subversive to power, money, and control? The Bible repeatedly legitimizes the people on the bottom and not the people on the top. 
In the Bible, the pattern seems to be that the first will be last and the last will be first. So let's look at the parable again. Who were these workers who were hired last? What does Matthew say? Chapter 20, verse 6. About five in the afternoon, the landowner went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Because no one has hired us. I started thinking about who might be the sort of people who would wait all day long at the marketplace or at the job center and be picked last to be hired for work. In Jesus' day, that might be the weak, the elderly, the disabled. In our day, who is least likely to be offered a job? The disabled, the homeless, the immigrant? Knowing what we know about God's ways, that the Bible is biased towards the other, the outsider, the people at the bottom, does that make it easier to understand why the landowner in the parable treated the last ones hired with this extravagant generosity? The landowner justifies his actions at verse 15 by saying, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money or are you envious because I am generous? In a wage-based economy, which is how the kingdom of earth functions, the system operates to protect and reward those at the top, the ones hired first. Input equals output, hard work equals reward. Too bad if you grew up with a heroin addict for a mother and a violent alcoholic for a dad. Pull your socks up, get off the streets and go and get a job, right? You have made us equal to them, the first hired complained. But what does God see that we do not see? He sees that those at the bottom need extra benevolence, extra help, even just to bring them to the same level as the ones hired first. If God loves us all equally, then the ones at the bottom, the ones hired last, are going to need extravagant love and protection. This did not dawn on me until I asked my seven-year-old daughter what she thought of the parable. Her response was, the landowner was right to give the last ones more because he can probably see from their clothes that they are poor, so they need more to be equal to the first ones. The landowner agrees to pay the later hired workers whatever is right. Whatever is right is determined not by whether they were hired first or last, not determined by their effort or their good deeds, not by how worthy or how unworthy they are. Whatever is right is determined by God. Luckily for us, God determines things by extravagant love by abundant mercy, by radical justice, in short, by grace. In the kingdom of heaven, God reveals an economy of grace. Grace means undeserved kindness, love that is not merited, a gift that is not given as a reward for good behavior. Life is a gift, 100% pure gift, pure grace. God loves us because God is love, not because we are good or not good. 
When we realize that we are all living on God's grace, on God's welfare, then we will stop ignoring or marginalizing the people at the bottom. The only response to a gift is thank you. When I was thinking about this parable, I was reminded of the following story. About 50 or so students from a university in America are lining up to start a race to win a $100 bill from the white male teacher is holding at the end. Before you race, the teacher says, I want you to take two steps forward if any of these statements apply to you. If not, stay where you are on the starting line. So the students are all lining up on the starting line. Take two steps forward if both of your parents are still married. About three quarters of the students take two gleeful leaps forward. Take two steps forward if you grew up with a father figure in your home. Again, the same group, take two leaps forward. Take two steps forward if you had access to a private education. At this stage, the forward-leaping, mostly white students are looking pretty pleased with themselves, while the black kids who make up those left at the starting line are looking a little uncomfortable. Take two steps forward if you never had to help mum or dad with the bills. Take two steps forward if it wasn't because of your athletic ability you don't have to pay for college. At this stage, the forward-leaping students are looking a little ashamed. Still none of the black students move from the starting line. Take two steps forward if you never wondered where your next meal was coming from. By this stage, the forward-leaping students have worked out the point of the exercise and are looking a little sorry about the chance to take two more steps forward and in fact just step forward rather than leaping forward. The teacher then says, I want you at the front to turn around and have a look. Every statement I have made has nothing to do with anything any of you has done, has nothing to do with decisions you have made. We all know that the people up the front have a better opportunity to win this race. Does that mean the people back there can't race? No. The teacher goes on. We would be foolish not to realize we have been given more opportunity. We don't want to recognize that we have been given a head start. But the reality is, we have. It's only because you have this big of a head start that you are possibly going to win this race called life. Nothing you have done has put you in the lead that you are in right now. Where would you be in this lineup of students? Where do you see yourself in the parable? Does it seem unfair to you? Or does it seem right? I hope this story illustrates that we are not nearly as self-sufficient, deserving, or independent as our kingdom of earth, wage-based economy would have us believe. Whether you see yourself as not too bad or pretty good, whether you identify with the ones hired first, out at the front with the forward-leaping students, or the ones hired last, still on the starting line, or somewhere in between. The encouraging thing to remember is that the economy of grace is how God operates. You are not required to clock up a list of good deeds to get into heaven. You are not required to do good things to get into a friendship with Jesus. Your success or failure in God's eyes is not measured by the imposters of money 
or power or appearance. Your acceptance into the kingdom of heaven, into friendship with God, is not based on a points-based system of merits and demerits. The economy of grace is how God operates on earth. How wonderful that God has made each of us in his divine image and likeness. How inspiring that he blesses each of us, Christian and non-Christian, with dignity, worth, and God-given equality. If the kingdom of earth seeks to separate us by race, gender, sexual orientation, religion, or class, then the kingdom of heaven reverses that. God's government turns our system upside down and inside out so that the last will be first and the first will be last. Ultimately, the kingdom of heaven, with Jesus as the king, seeks to bring us into union with God and with each other. God invites everyone to work in his vineyard, to join him in his kingdom, to accept his offer of friendship. Will you say yes? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the blessings in our life, which we realize come from you and not from our efforts. We thank you that you love us despite our failings and our weaknesses. We thank you that we can rest in your grace and your mercy, knowing that a relationship with you is not a reward for effort or achievement, but is based on your love for us. Lord, I thank you that being a follower of Jesus Christ is not a moral worthiness contest. I pray that whether we said yes to you many years ago or just recently, that we feel your presence and your love now. I pray that once we know and feel your unconditional, unearned and infinite love and forgiveness, we can move from the kingdom of earth worldview of merits and demerits to the worldview of the kingdom of heaven where grace is freely given and freely received. And as we feel accepted and loved by you, God, and in response to your love for us, empower us to go out in our lives, to love our neighbours, to pray for our enemies, and to transform the world around us so that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.